call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit RG help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, and it's week one, baby. We're ready to go. We have... A big-time Dolphins superfan, John Jastrzemski, of course, from our Ringer podcast, New York, New York. He's going to join us in just a little bit. Want to get into the matchup in particular, Tua, Mike McDaniel making his debut. We'll get into all that with JJ and also find out why the hell is he a Dolphins fan if he grew up in New York. So we'll chat with JJ in just a little bit. But it's game week, man. I want to get right into this. So we're already seeing the Patriots taking a little bit of a different approach to try to have better results in Miami, which is interesting to me. They traveled on Tuesday. The Patriots are just two and seven at Hard Rock Stadium since the start of 2013. So something needed to change here. And I heard Bart Scott earlier today on one of the ESPN shows that this was a panic move by Bill Belichick. I mean, come on, you got to be fucking kidding me. It's called being smart. They're looking for a solution. The Patriots are. So by all means, get out there early if you think it's going to help you. And let's be real. The environment here locally right now is sort of toxic as it pertains to the Patriots, right? There's not a lot of positive storylines. Most of the stuff is negative right now. So get out there, whatever the hell you're going to do in Miami, bond, whatever. Get ready for the heat. Get used to the heat. I'm all for it, right? So that take by Bart Scott is just awful. I'm all for like a bold, hot take. But saying that Belichick going there early is a panic move. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not even a hot take. That's just a bad take. He's trying to look at this and say, hey, we've played really shitty in Miami. What could we do differently? Well, we didn't have a game last week, so we can get there early. I actually like what Bill's doing here. It's proactive to try to get out in front of this thing. But I was also going through this. So I was looking at the biggest openers in recent Patriots history, and I'm talking about the Brady, Belichick, and now post-Brady era. I'm not going back to the 1990s or the 1980s. I'm just talking about in recent history when the Patriots have basically become the juggernaut of the NFL. And the only two openers that feel as big as this one, and I believe this one is bigger. I'll get into why in greater detail. But the only two that compare, 07, and that was really a unique situation because remember, the Patriots are coming off that Hard loss to the Colts in the AFC Championship game. They blow the lead. And we all know that if the Patriots played the Bears in the Super Bowl, they would have beat the shit out of that team. And so Belichick that offseason makes the big moves, right? He trades for Wes Welker, but more importantly, he trades for Randy Moss. And they don't play Randy Moss in the preseason. And we're all anticipating what is it going to look like? Brady and Moss, he's never had a weapon like this. So that was more of a positive anticipation. And, And then in 2016, that was the other one that came to mind. Because remember... Brady was finally going to serve that four-game suspension for Deflategate, which, I mean, we could do a whole week of podcast worth on how ridiculous Deflategate was. But anyway, that was a big storyline, too, because we hadn't really seen Jimmy in game action. And we were wondering, hey, can Jimmy Garoppolo actually be the guy after Brady? Is there a possibility that Jimmy could play so well there would actually be a quarterback controversy? Not that that was a large majority of the Patriots fan base saying that, but that was at least a topic of conversation. 
And then like, oh, what if Jimmy's not good? Like if Jimmy sucks, can the Patriots stay two and two without Tom Brady? So that was anticipated for other reasons. But even those two, it doesn't feel like they had the significance that this one does, right? Because in 07, we knew the team was going to be great either way, right? It was Tom Brady. It was Randy Moss. We knew that team was going to be great. And that's really when it became Brady's team, really. Post, I would say post-05, it really became Brady because in 06, Brady had that ridiculous playoff run, the game against the Chargers. It became his team and it became more of an offensive team. We knew it was going to be a great team. And then in 16, we knew, hey, even if Jimmy blows, well, Tom Brady's going to come back and save the day. So even that one, we knew what the results were ultimately going to be. But this one feels different, right? It feels like the overreaction one way or the other is going to be crazy, right? Because this isn't Mac in year two, or excuse me, this isn't Mac in year one, where Mac in year one was like, well, he's entering his rookie season. We were just sort of excited as a fan base to look at it and say, hey, you know what we can do this year? We can actually have a forward pass of the offense, which is something the Patriots did not have with Cam Newton. Unfortunately, Cam Newton at that point in his career was just broken as a passer because he had dealt with so many injuries. So now it feels like Mac year two, we've seen it with so many other quarterbacks before, time to start winning, right? And with everything that sort of transpired this offseason, the play calling situation, is it Patricia? Is it Judge? Now we know it's Patricia. The offensive system change. And then you had the Shaq Mason trade, the J.C. Jackson situation where he leaves the organization. So it feels like there's been a lot of drama surrounding this team. And in a weird way to me, it almost feels like you have the in Bill We Trust backers against the portion of the fan base that wants to see Bill fail, that is still pissed that Bill ultimately let Tom Brady go. So it does feel like either way, we're going to have that battle. And if the Patriots win, we'll hear from the in Bill We Trust crowd, the super fans, if you will, that first of all, the media is a bunch of idiots. How did they hype up this issue with the offensive line and the offensive coaching staff? It wasn't that big of a deal. And I would say like, to the media portion of this, they're doing their job. Are they not supposed to talk about the biggest storyline in training camp? But nonetheless, that'll be a story. You guys are all idiots for doubting Bill. But if the Patriots lose, then what we're going to get is from the people that want to see Bill fail, because there is a portion of the fan base that wants to see that happen at this particular point in time. We'll be hearing, well, the offense, we told you it's going to be a mess. And what's Bill without Brady? We knew that this offense was going to suck. Look at the results right now. And look how arrogant it was to go with Patricia and Joe Judge as the guys in charge of shepherding this young quarterback. Those would be the storylines. It feels like right now it's going to be crazy either way. So either way, also, it feels like even though it ultimately won't be true, both sides, whatever the result is, they're going to feel like, okay, there's proof of concept after week one, right? So we're either going to be saying you guys were all dumb for thinking what you did in the offseason or look, Bill knows what he's doing, right? So I just look at this matchup in particular and some of the questions we had, not only about the team, but entering week one as it pertains to the Dolphins. One of the big issues has been in training camp, in the preseason, the offensive line. So if you look back to some of the moves that have been made there, okay, Shaq Mason is gone. Well, he was traded for a fifth round draft pick. And you drafted Cole Strange in the first round. So you drafted his replacement in the first round. And all you got back for Shaq Mason was a fifth rounder. And just going back to last season, Shaq Mason ranked ninth in ESPN's pass block win rate, which was amongst guards, ninth amongst guards, which was tremendous. He's an outstanding player. We all know that, right? But the reason this is important as it pertains to the offensive line and the issues that this group has had is the offensive line was one of the real reasons Mac was successful as a rookie. So if you look back to Mac in 2021, he was pressured on just 18.4% of his dropbacks, which was third in the NFL behind only Brady and Stafford. So the offensive line did a really good job giving Mac that time to throw. And why is that important? Because Mac as a rookie, and I'm not telling you this can't change. This isn't supposed to be a huge indictment on Mac. I just point this out because last year when Mac was pressured, he completed just 53.7% of his passes. When he wasn't pressured, that number was at 72.4%. So really good when he wasn't pressured, really sucked when he was pressured. The rating, by the way, one pressured, 74.2. When not pressured, 98.1. So the reason this is going to be exaggerated in week one is you look at who they're playing, the Miami Dolphins. Last year, the Dolphins, their pressure rate, they pressure quarterbacks on 28.5% of their dropbacks. 
which was third in the NFL. Very high number. If you look at just total pressures, they were second at 193. So in week one, the offensive line, Mac and Patricia all have a really big test, right? This is a very difficult matchup because the Dolphins are going to bring the heat. And it's an area that Mac struggled with last year against pressure. And you have this new offensive line with this new scheme and a new play caller. It's a lot to handle this type of defense in week one. The Dolphins also, by the way, they blitzed on 39.6% of their opponents' dropbacks last season. That was the second most in the NFL. So they're coming after the quarterback like crazy. And if you look at Mac last year, that final game of the regular season, he was blitzed on 12 of his dropbacks against the Dolphins. He was just 5 of 10, 50%. On 21 dropbacks, he was not blitzed, and he was 15 of 20, 75%. And by the way, the Dolphins still have the same defensive coordinator, so it's going to be a lot of the schemes that Flores has implemented. Remember, Flores goes to Miami, becomes very blitz-heavy. So I have these numbers. They have these numbers. Mac is going to have to prove that he can be successful against the Blitz. And you would expect that in week one, Miami's going to do what they did last year because they were successful against Mac doing it. Mac had one of his worst games of the season against the Dolphins. That final game, remember, had the awful interception to Xavier Howard. They're going to come after him. Mac last year was had 177 attempts, I should say, against the Blitz. That was tied for the second most in the league. So Mac Jones did not prove last year that he was a good quarterback against the Blitz. He's going to see a lot more of that this season. So what we're going to get is a reaction either way. We could get the holy shit, the offensive line sucks and the coaching is an issue and you have an issue with your quarterback right now still against the blitz. He's going to learn how to develop and get ready for that type of scheme in the NFL. On the flip side, well, what if it works? Well, then it's like, oh, this whole offseason, the offensive line, you guys over exaggerated. It was all about nothing. And actually, look, Max improved against the blitz. This is the team that gave Mac one of his toughest afternoons of his young NFL career last year. And look at the way he responded this year. So I'm telling you, we always overreact to week one. It is going to be insane after this game because of all the drama with this team. And then you look at this sort of from the defensive side of the ball with the Patriots. Bill Belichick this week is hyping up Jonathan Jones. And it just so happens that we're going to find out how real that hype is, right? Because if you look at the week one matchup, it's not just Jalen Waddle in Miami anymore. It's Tyreek Hill on Sunday. So if they get ripped up, the reaction is going to be, how are they ever going to stop anybody with this secondary? You let J.C. Jackson go, and now you can't stop the Dolphins? What are you going to do when you play the Bills? So this game on Sunday has to be about Bill and that defensive brain trust that, remember, we questioned at times last season because we didn't know whose defense it was. Remember, it was, hey, is Steve Belichick calling the plays? Well, Steve's calling the plays. But Gerard Mayo's running the meetings. And then after the Cowboys game, which was the most yardage ever given up by a Belichick defense, then we heard, well, Bill took over the defense for a little bit. So we didn't really know what was going on with the defense last year. It's sort of been an underrated storyline coming into this season because we've been talking so much against about the offense, rather. So you have that element. What's the defensive brain trust like? And if Bill has to spend more time on the offense, do you trust Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo to run that defense, right? And there's also the part of, well, you let one of the best corners in the NFL and J.C. Jackson go to the Chargers in the offseason. So we're going to want proof that this can still be a good defense without your best defensive player, J.C. Jackson, now not playing here anymore, and that defensive coaching staff. Is it good? That's what we need to find out, right? And we're going to have reactions to this game either way. And you look at Miami and you'll say, okay, yeah, it's a remade offensive line. They added Teron Armstead, who's one of the best tackles in the game. They brought in Connor Williams from the Cowboys. That line was bad last year, but it certainly has improved this year. But here's the thing, as it pertains to the coaching staff and Bill Belichick in particular, Tua is a very flawed player, and the Patriots owe him one after what happened last year. And Bill, even if we don't love the Patriots personnel getting rid of J.C. Jackson, etc., Bill Belichick, Gerard Mayo, Steve Belichick, they should be able to expose Tua. So if you take away the easy shit from Tua and the stuff that's on schedule, so to speak, he's fucked. He's not a good quarterback that when he has to improvise or when he's under pressure. So just look at it from this perspective. 32 quarterbacks last year had 100 dropbacks when they were under pressure. Tua had a 54.8 passer rating when he was under pressure last year. I told you max numbers are not good under pressure. Tua's are atrocious. 54.8 is the rating. That's 28th out of those 32 quarterbacks. 
The guys behind him, Trevor Lawrence, who had a rough rookie season in Jacksonville. I still believe in the player, but I mean, he played for the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. What are you going to do? Sam Darnold, who sucks. Don't believe in him. Nobody believes in him. Zach Wilson, who had a horrible rookie season. And Justin Fields, who did not have a great rookie season, and he was in a horrible situation in Chicago. He's still in a horrible situation in Chicago, quite frankly. So you should be able to get after Tua. And if you get after Tua, he's going to have massive issues. The other thing is this. I mentioned, can he improvise? No, he can't. So if you look at Tua last year, when he had two and a half seconds or more in the pocket, right? So basically, when you take away his first read, you take away his second read, and you make him have to improvise, he is in massive trouble. Tua last year in those situations threw eight interceptions. Less than two and a half seconds, he threw just two interceptions. So 80% of his interceptions last year came when he had more than two and a half seconds in the pocket. So this is about Bill, and this is about Gerard Mayo, and this is about Steve Belichick scheming it up so he cannot have that easy shit available for him in the offense. You look at the completion percentage, too, when he had more than two and a half seconds, it's 58.3%. God-awful. When he had more than, or when he had less than two and a half seconds, I should say, 74.2%. So when he can make a quick decision because it's schemed up for him and his guys get open quickly, two is really good. But when he's off schedule and he has to improvise, he's not really good. So take away that first read, take away the quick stuff for Tua, and you got him in real trouble. So obviously, Belichick knows this about Tua. It's his job now and the defensive coaching staff's job to take advantage of Tua on Sunday because I don't want to come away from that game and having this debate, well, is Tua really better than Mac? Because Mac is the better player. Mac is the more talented player. You know what Tua's weaknesses are. You'd like to see the Patriots expose this guy on Sunday afternoon. And there's one other reason I feel like this is a big game for the Patriots in terms of the storylines. And that's Bill against a young rookie coach in Mike McDaniel, who's just 39 years old. It does feel like, for lack of a better phrase, he's got to put this guy in his place, right? I mean, Bill losing to a young guy in week one, would not be a great look. His first game is against Belichick. He's got to be able to win this game. He has to. Even though the Miami Dolphins roster may be slightly better, the Patriots have the better quarterback, and you should be winning games when you have the better quarterback. Bill and this coaching staff need to find a way to win this game for so many different reasons, but from a narrative perspective, it could not be more enticing to me. Just looking at what could transpire on Sunday. You think about it. It's a massive story either way. A, the Patriots lose. The offensive line blows. The offensive scheme needs a lot of work. And Patricia's a problem, right? Those are what we're going to be hearing about. Those are the issues that are going to come out. Because it's week one, but we have not really seen a lot of drama like this lately, okay? Now, I understand it was bad at the end of the Brady and the Belichick era, but we're talking about on the field, strategic drama. There's a ton this year. Also, if the Patriots lose, well, the defense blows. You can't beat Tua. You're the third best team of the division. You can't stop this offense. How are you going to stop the Buffalo Bills? Like, this is the stuff that's going to come out. Scenario B, the Patriots win, which I'm hoping for, of course. The offensive issues were over-exaggerated. Look at what the Patriots did. Remember when Randy Moss, they hit Randy Moss at the preseason and Moss came out and he went crazy. Look at what Bill and the Patriots coaching staff did. They didn't show you anything in the preseason. Nobody knew this stuff was coming and look at what they were able to do. And hey, look at what Bill just did. He can scheme it up with the best of them defensively. He just exposed another young head coach in the NFL. So just for those reasons, just because of everything that has happened over the past couple of months or so, this is why from my perspective, this is the most compelling opener we have had during the Belichick era. It passes the 07 one, and it passes the one in 16. This is the most compelling season opener the Patriots have played. No doubt about it. All right, a lot more to get into, and we'll preview week one against the Dolphins in greater detail coming up in just a second here. We'll chat with my old buddy, John Jastrzemski, of course, part of the Ringer Network, New York, New York. We'll chat with JJ next here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the Ringers New York, New York podcast, it is John Jastrzemski. JJ, what's up, man? Brian, first of all, congratulations to you. Uh, I'm glad that we are seeing the Ringer family 
branch off you and I, I think it's off the pike, right? I got the name yeah, right? You got it. You got it. There we go. First try. I'm proud <laughs> of myself for that. You guys and what you're doing, Philly and what they're doing. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm very happy to be on with you, my man. What's going on? Well, I appreciate it, JJ. So, hey, I want to get, I don't understand this. So you grew up in New York. Why are you a Dolphins fan? Because we have you on to preview week one because you're apparently a Dolphins super fan. So what the hell's up with that? All right. So that is accurate. Uh, there's no beating around the bush. I'm New York through and through. But you got to understand something, Brian. When I was growing up, the Jets and the Giants, kind of similar to what they are today, quite frankly, <laughs> were two of the worst and most irrelevant and most boring football teams imaginable. So uh, imagine for a second, you have an impressionable seven-year-old going to his first football game, and it is the Boomer Esiason, Rich Kotite, Kelly Green, New York Jets, taking on the Patriots. That was a no for me. Then on the other side, you had Dave Brown and Danny Cannell playing quarterback for the Giants. Dan Marino was that dude. Ace Ventura came out. Dolphins had cool colors, cool uniforms. And I got the starter jacket, and I was a sucker ever since, bro. It was, let's put it this way, Brian. I've made a lot of good life decisions. Picking the Miami Dolphins over the New York Giants probably was not one of them. But you know what they say? It builds character. Being a <laughs> Dolphin fan has built a lot of character over the last 20-plus years, my dude. Well. I'll give you credit on this. At least you didn't pick like the Cowboys in the 90s because that would have just been a bandwagon thing. That's like no, being that's a Duke total basketball front runner. Fan. You couldn't do that. And trust me, there were plenty of kids I knew, and I'm sure you knew them as well, that were Cowboy, Chicago Bull, and New York Yankee fans. And I know the Yankees are my, uh, my, my true blue. They're my blood. Like, they're my soul. The other two teams I couldn't stand. I hated Jordan's Bulls with a passion. <laughs> I hated the Cowboys growing up. It's funny. I don't hate the Cowboys anymore. They, they don't bother me anymore. But at that time, well, I couldn't stand the Cowboys. So, yes, I appreciate that. All right. So let's get into this Dolphins team then. So from a Patriots perspective, we were all sitting here like when they got rid of Flores. And obviously there's a lot of stuff that went on off the field that we all know about. Patriots fans are kind of like, oh, well, they don't have to lose to Brian Flores anymore because Flores kind of owned Belichick. So what did you make of the hire of Mike McDaniel? Do you like this more than Flores or what? So I was very confused. When the Dolphins fired Brian Flores, because you hit on something, Brian. They played really well against your team, the Patriots. They had back-to-back -back winning seasons. It seems like, on the surface, the Miami Dolphins had built something that was growing, that was getting better. But, you know, I sent out a couple of texts. The minute I woke up that Monday morning and got word that Flores was out, and these are people who know the Dolphins situation. I'm talking very, very well. They weren't the least bit surprised. And mm. I like Brian. Brian has always been very good to me. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about him personally. He's a Brooklyn guy, so I love the story. But he found a way to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I'm not just talking about Tua, and I'm not just talking about Stephen Ross, but there was a queer kind of divide within that Dolphin organization. And I think if you're Bill Belichick, you can handle yourself in that manner because you just basically point to the back of the baseball card and you say, hey, look at all these championships. Look at my resume. Ba, 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 ba. When you're one of these guys that has yeah, a nine or a 10 win season, but no playoff wins to speak of, an offense that has absolutely no plan, a terrible line, uh, multiple coordinators with you, you three, three years, three different coordinators, you're not going to be given that benefit of the doubt. So when I got all of that information, all right, I wasn't shocked that Flores was let go. Mike McDaniel is the ultimate wild card, dude. I have no idea what the Dolphins are getting. Now, let me say this. Personally, I love him. The Yeezys, the attitude, the way he's just, he's the anti-Flores in the way he deals with the media. And I'm eating it up. Like, not going to lie, dude. I love the transparency. I love the jokes. I love the candor. I love the honesty. Can he coach? Can he win? Guess we're going to find out come Sunday, dude, because it's anybody's guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess history would be it's good to move on from the Belichick guy. We've seen that coaching tree has not been good, and sort of the Shanahan slash McVay tree has been pretty successful. Taylor just went to the Super Bowl. Matt LaFleur has been really good, so maybe it works out from the Dolphins from that perspective, and that scheme has given Belichick 
a lot of trouble over the past few years as well. I mean, they just came here two years ago and ripped up the Patriots when he was the, I guess, running game coordinator of the Niners. So speaking of that offense, the biggest thing is Tua. So are you in or are you out on Tua? I'm in. And I've been really? in for a while. Oh, yeah, I'm in. And I'm going to tell you why I'm in. Look at the record over the last two years. With all the nonsense, with all the uncertainty, Tua is, what, 13-8 and eight as a starter? The Dolphins last year, when he didn't play, were what? They were 0-4. They were an absolute joke with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Now, Brian, when you say I'm in, do I think he's going to be a starter? Do I think he's going to be like in top eight quarterback in the league? No. Do I think you can go and be a playoff caliber team? Do I think Tua can be an NFL starter for the next 10 to 12 years? I think the answer to that question is yes. And what I love about what the Dolphins have done, they now have eliminated any of the excuses because the excuses were there the last couple of years. His health coming back off the injury. The offensive line being graded out amongst the worst in the NFL over the last two years. Um, not having the same offensive coordinator. Shane Gailey builds an offense around Ryan Fitzpatrick. Last year, the Dolphins have nobody had any idea who was calling the plays. They had like two or three different coordinators. Now the Dolphins say, okay, we're building the offense around you. We're going to go and sign the best offensive tackle in free agency in Toronto Armstead. Now, he's got to play, but when he does, he's one of the premier tackles in the sport. And we're going to go and get Tyreek Hill and compliment Jalen Waddle with Tyreek Hill. So now the excuses, Brian, are out the window. He has to perform at a top-half quarterback type of percentage, and you got to go and make the playoffs this year. I think that's the barometer for the Miami Dolphins. Two winning years, let me see this offense grow and take the next step. And this is now the way you properly grade a quarterback because everything's set up now. Now you got to go and make it happen. Well, yeah, JJ, I understand that too. It's a good point about the offensive line has been trash for them the past couple of years and the instability with the coaching staff, the turnover with the coordinators makes sense too. But I just look at him and I'm trying to figure out what's special about the guy, right? Okay, he's a small diminutive quarterback. He's supposed to be athletic, but he's not really athletic Athletic after all these injuries. Doesn't really have the big arm. What is it that jumps out to you about him? Pocket presence. Poise. Accuracy. He's accurate within 15 yards. Now, I know we spend a lot of time dissecting the deep ball on social media. And, Brian, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to throw a deep ball the way Aaron Rodgers or the way that Justin Herbert would go and throw a deep ball. But there, and I've noticed this with him, from the minute he started at Alabama, there is a sort of confidence about him. Now, maybe against the Buffalo Bills, you didn't see that. Last year against the Tennessee Titans, you didn't see that. But making things happen on the fly, operating within the pocket, completing passes, being efficient, converting a whole lot of third downs. He's done a good job of that since he's come into the league, but it's not good enough. And the problem he runs into, Bry, he's in the same draft class as Joe Burrow, who to yeah. me is an absolute stud. And he's the best quarterback in that crop because he has an if factor. He's a badass. He takes no shit from nobody. And I love him. And then you have the cyborg in Justin Herbert, who I got to be honest, I didn't love him in college. And I couldn't have been more wrong because in college, I thought he was a stiff. I thought he was Bo Callahan from, uh, remember the movie Draft Day? I thought he was <laughs> Bo Callahan reincarnated. And he hasn't been. He's been phenomenal. The arm strength is great. The mobility is great. He's going to be a star. Tua is always going to have that going against him. You're not Herbert. And you're not Burrow. But there are attributes. I'm telling you. I've seen it. Hey, all you need to know about Tua. Say what you want about the stat line. 4-0 against Bill Belichick. Or 3-0 against Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick doesn't lose to anybody who's a rookie quarterback, right? Like, that's that's always the thing. Oh, rookie quarterbacks, they, they can't beat Belichick. Young quarterbacks can't beat Belichick. Tua, say what you want about the stats. 3-0 against the Pats. Yeah, it's a fair point. I look at him, though, JJ, and I look at, first of all, at Alabama, when Mac took over, the team got better. When Mac was the quarterback, did they, they were, know? Did they yeah, get better? They, they I didn't mean, lose. Really, they were really good. How how much better can you get? They won the what? They 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 were in the national championship. Are they the win or lose? What what? They're putting up sixty yeah. points a game anyway. Well, he comes in in relief for in the first year there with Jalen Hurts, and then the second year he ends up getting injured, or they lose no, no, to no, no, Clemson. No. So he, he wins lose the to title Clemson. coming in for Hurts. The yeah, then they lose year, to Clemson. They get smoked by Clemson, yeah. but he's unbelievable. He has a great year. The whole offense has a great year. All right, they lose to a flat-out better Clemson team, and then he goes down with the hip. 
Yeah. So, I mean, then, they were, but to me, it's splitting hairs at Alabama with those two guys. All right. You know, 2 1 1, Mac 1 1, they, they, they both were really good. Let's put yeah, it that well, way. I just look at it from Mac's perspective as since Tua got the injury, it feels like Mac has sort of passed him. And I know Mac that was the fifth quarterback that went in that class. But if you look at what Mac did as a rookie, and you could argue, yeah, sure, Mac had a better situation, but it just feels like if you're going to bet on one of those two quarterbacks, it would be Mac Jones. He has more of the profile of an NFL quarterback than Tua does. Um, he also has Bill Belichick. I got to take that into account. If you put Mac Jones on the Jets last year and put Zach Wilson, let's say, in New England, I don't think there's much of a difference in the Patriots. I really don't. Because well, I, I don't, think, I'll I say think this, Belichick though. would basically wave the wand. Last year, they had a lot of talent on the team, especially on defense, and he'd make it happen. Yeah, I just can't see Bill dealing with Zach Wilson. He doesn't oh, like I think the, he would drive him to yeah. drink. I, I yeah. totally understand that. I told, My point is, though, I am giving a lot more of the credit in the rookie year, fair or unfair, to the stability of, hey, you have Josh McDaniels. You have Bill Belichick. You go into this kind of ready-made situation. Here's my concern, though, Brian, for you folks who are Patriot fans. The uh -oh. end of the year, the Patriot offense looked awful. It looked absolutely awful. They looked bad against the Dolphins the final game of the year. They looked like crap against Indy in that big Saturday night game. And then the Buffalo game, it was men against boys. Let's be perfectly honest. Like, I watched that game, and you knew five minutes in, the Buffalo Bills were absolutely going to steamroll the New England Patriots. So now New England, who loses their best corner, doesn't really do much to get better in the offseason and I have no idea who's calling the plays. Like, I ask you this. Why should year two be so much better for Mac Jones? That's what I'm trying to figure out. No, that's a fair point. And that's the biggest question mark about this team entering the season. Not just the play calling, but the fact that you've had issues now in the offensive line. I mean, you think about this, JJ. They had Shaq Mason, who, for what it's worth, he was their top-ranked player by Pro Football Focus. They trade him for a fifth-round draft pick. And then they draft a guard. In the first round, one of the things about Mac last year is he was pressured. The only guys that were pressured less than Mac last year were Brady and Stafford. And so the offensive That's line was crazy. Dude. Yeah, I knew yeah. They were, I knew they played well on the offensive line. Whoa, man. Third. That's crazy. Right. So now you're changing the scheme a little bit, which I understand they had to do that. Eventually, they had to get away from the McDaniels offense, the Brady offense, et cetera. But if the protection of Mac was a strength in year one, what happens if it's not in year two? Because as we know, he's not one of these quarterbacks like a Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers that's going to create with his legs and throw the ball down the field. So that is one of the troubling signs is, does the system work and does the offensive line hold up? Those are two of the biggest concerns this team has. Now, you mentioned the corners, which is a real issue. And this is one we're going to find out about really quickly, JJ, because you mentioned they bring in Tyreek Hill in Miami. They already had Jalen Waddle. We know what Buffalo has with Stephon Diggs. But if this defense takes a step back, everybody's going to be pointing the finger at Bill and saying, well, why didn't you bring back J.C. Jackson, who was one of the best five to six cornerbacks in the NFL? That's one of my biggest concerns, the offensive line in the corners. I'm not shedding any tears about J.C. Jackson playing with the Los Angeles Chargers. And even a guy like Kyle Van Oy, who is clearly not a peak prime player, you look at a lot of his PFF grades last year, Barrett, they're pretty good. So you're taking yeah. Van Oy off of that defense, who is basically a Swiss Army knife. You take away the best corner in J.C. Jackson. I, I think that's why you're seeing the betting market here move against the Patriots and with the Miami Dolphins' first game of the year and the fact that the Patriots, for whatever the reason, this goes back to Brady when they were the best team I've ever seen in my lifetime. You know, the team that would just beat the crap out of everybody. Weird things always seem to happen to New England in two places, Miami and Denver. Now, Denver at least had some teams that were really, really good. Miami didn't have a whole lot of teams that were really, really good, but whether it's the Heat, the division, I, I, I don't know what it is. Weird things happen to the Patriots in Miami. So, yeah, I, I'm stoked for week one, dude. From a Finns perspective, look, there's a lot to prove. The quarterback, I get it, has a lot to prove. But Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. I mean, I, I don't know how you draw up game plans for those two guys with their speed. They're unbelievably fast, and they're unbelievably skilled.
Yeah, but they're going to have to get to Tua. I mean, that's the bottom line. Or else yes, those guys. That's the game plan for the Patriots. You got to yeah. own them at the line of scrimmage. No yeah, doubt. that's the issue. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, fuck Denver. The Patriots could never win there. That place was a house of horrors for that team. I still Unless remember back. Tebow was playing quarterback. Then oh, maybe God. they could win there. Yeah. Then maybe. <laughs> then they could win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But just getting back, circling back to the Miami situation, did you see what the Patriots did? They're already there, they traveled early. Oh, they're so, trying to get used to that heat. Yeah, they're two uh, and I, seven I in their last night. say they better bring a little SPF or some tanning <laughs> oil. Are we going to see uh, shots of Bill in the bucket hat? I need that on Sunday. Can we get oh, Bill God. a bucket hat for Sunday? Probably. He'll, he'll probably have something weird on, you know, it's Belichick. And then well, hopefully these guys don't go out in South Beach. I mean, that's you don't want to be going that's out in South Beach. That's always a concern, man. There's yeah. always, I mean, trust me on that. That's always a scene. Yeah, I mean, they got to get away from the media here because everybody's killing them. So I did like that they left early. Maybe it'll be something that changes. But I do want to get to the defense real quick with Miami because one of the big things is that defense going back to Brady, final game of his regular season career, if you will, they lose to the Miami Dolphins. And I do think one of the good things that they did there is they did keep Boyer around. So I'm assuming that it's going to be a lot of the same scheme from Miami that has given the Patriots trouble over the past few years. Yeah, everybody's back. I mean, it's crazy to think about in an NFL where personnel is changing left and right from every single team that the Miami Dolphins are basically bringing back every starter they had. Um, The same defensive coordinator, which I agree with you, is important because you don't have that learning curve on that side of the ball. And that, to me, is the question, right? How much did Brian Flores influence that defense, or was it far more about the scheme that was in place, the personnel that was in place? I thought they made two very nice under-the-radar signings, like veteran signings. Melvin Ingram and your old pal, Trey Flowers. Bringing those guys in as, like, compliments to what they have. Like, Ogbon Phillips, they get after the quarterback. Howard is, if he's not one of the three best corners in the league, he is the best corner in the league and had a pick six against Mac Jones last year. If there's a weak spot in that defense, though, Brian, I don't know what the Dolphins have outside of Needham as their second corner because Byron Jones is going to miss the first couple of games. The problem is certain teams would be able to exploit that particular weakness. I don't know if the Patriots can. I mean, listen, Odds are old man Devontae Parker will probably score a touchdown just because that's the way it goes. Like when Patriots go and play for the Dolphins, go to play for the Patriots. I remember Sammy Morris and, and, and Heath Devins. And, you know, there were plenty of guys over the years that would go from Miami to New England. And, of course, Wes Welker, which drove yeah. me to drink, which was the dumbest move of all time. But watch Devontae score. But aside from that, where, where are the Patriot receivers exploiting that weakness within the Dolphins? That's my question. Well, two major problems. The first one is the guy they draft in the second round. It seems like they finally hit on a receiver. Belichick finally got one in Tyquan Thornton. He goes down with an injury in the preseason. And then Kendrick Bourne has just had a shitty training camp. And he's the guy that everybody expected to take a step forward. He's been a no-show. Um, getting back to your point, though, about them bringing in Trey Flowers, that really pissed off Patriots fans because people thought, okay, Patricia, that's like Patricia's guy. Patricia paid him in Detroit and they didn't bring him back here, which really irritated everybody here. But yeah, about the weapons, it's it's definitely a major concern. And the thing that I look at, JJ, some of the things, you look across the league, these guys that make big jumps. I mean, the Dolphins are trying everything they can. You alluded to it earlier. It's not just Waddle. It's Tyree Kill. You look at the Bills when Allen takes his jump. It's with Stephon Diggs. Joe Burrow, he gets his college teammate in Jamar Chase. And I just wonder in some capacity if that's going to be something that really hurts Mac Jones is he doesn't have that one bailout guy. Because even in the Brady era, think about this, JJ. Early on, yeah, it's about the defense, et cetera. But from 07 on, Brady either had, for most of the time, Randy Moss or Rob Gronkowski. That's the greatest quarterback of all time. Had a or guy that Welker the defense. Or Edelman, yeah. who are like. Yeah borderline Hall of Famers. Yeah, and so I just look at it in terms of who's the guy that he's going to. Like, Hunter Henry was the guy that he went to a lot on third down last year, Jacoby Myers as well, but those guys aren't scaring anybody, JJ. And if those are your two best weapons, your most dependable weapons, then you have a real issue in terms of, well, how dangerous can your offense really be? I mean, the thing about Welker and Edelman, those guys were so good after the catch. I mean, they get open really quickly, which Myers doesn't do. And they do so much after the catch. And I just don't see that with this Patriots team. The one guy that can do stuff after the catch, the two guys, Bourne had a bad training camp and John O. Smith couldn't catch the ball last year. I thought John O. Smith was going to be great for the Patriots. 
like, I didn't love the idea that they paid two tight ends a boatload of money. Even though I know, you know, Gronk and Aaron Hernandez back in the day, that was like the blueprint. That was the formula a long, long time ago. I didn't like the idea of paying the two tight ends. John Smith, though, I always loved in Tennessee, and he stunk for you guys last year. Yeah. I thought he was terrible. Yeah, the good thing is apparently he he was here all offseason, which, okay. And Belichick's been, like, waxing poetically about him, JJ. Like, you would think that now, this guy— Now, how does that work normally with Bill? If he's doing that, is he doing that to try to, like, calm the nerves of a player, or does he actually mean it? I, 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 what, how do you read that? I'll tell you how it works, JJ. He never did it until the past couple years. So it's when he knows his Took players need it. Yeah, didn't he never need did. to. Let's be honest. Didn't need to. We're all the winning they were doing. Well, Why say I something mean, nice if we're going to keep winning? Think about it. It's the same guy where Brady plays in the AFC championship with a huge gash in his hand against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Bill says after the game, it wasn't brain surgery. And now we're praising Jonu Smith for having like a decent training camp. I mean, that's where Belichick's at. Things have certainly changed for Bill over Brian, the past few years. Let me ask years. you this question. And it seems impossible because, listen, if I have the success that the Patriots have and with Belichick, the guy could do no wrong in my lifetime. Like he could coach as long as he wants. But you're around the Boston faithful. And I ask you this. I know I shouldn't be asking a question on your podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. Has the Patriot fan soured on Belichick at all over the last couple of years? There's a certain portion of the fan base that has. I would say that it's more like in the media than it is. But here's the thing, JJ, it's the Brady situation, right? So you have so many people that were in the Brady camp and not the Bill camp. So there is a big portion of the fan base that still obviously wants to see Tom succeed. And it's the whole going back to years ago, Tom versus Bill. I get that. I get that. And let's be honest. So far, Tom has won the divorce. He's yeah, won. and that, that that's what it is more so than anything else is Brady won the Super Bowl. You can make the argument that he should have been the MVP of the NFL last season. So that's what looks bad for Bill. And part of the reason that Tom didn't look good in 19, the year that Bill let Brady go, and he did not have a good season in 19, is the team wasn't good around him. We're finding out, hey, if you give Tom, Mike Evans, and Gronk, and Godwin, he can play still at a high level. And that's why that Nikhil Harry pick is just so bad, because he could have had Debo Samuel or A.J. Brown, and then maybe Brady looks at those guys a little bit differently. Because for the first time in his career, he could say, you know what, it actually is better to leave. Despite all the crap about the contract and all that, he could actually look at the roster and say, I'm not going to win here. So it was time for Tom to move on from my perspective because he needed an opportunity to win. Hey, JJ, I want to ask you about the New York teams real quick because there's two New England storylines. Obviously, the Jets are in the division. So Zach Wilson, of course, injured to begin the season. But where are you on that Jets rebuild? They still a while away. And do you believe in Wilson? Uh, the jury's out for me on Wilson. I, I need to see a lot more. I was very underwhelmed in his first season. Um, a lot of stupid decisions. Injury is a problem. I don't think he should play week one against Baltimore because the idea of rushing him back on the field, I think, makes absolutely no sense. And yeah. here's the problem they run into, Brian. I think they're much better than what they were a year ago, right? Like, they added to their defense. They had a good draft. They're better on the offensive line. Like, they're a better football team. But when you go around the AFC, who are the Jets better than? Uh, honest question, outside of the Houston Texans, maybe, maybe they're better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who are the Jets better than? So I, I have a hard time envisioning wins for them with the AFC being as good as it is and the AFC East being as good as it is. I mean, the Patriots, say what you want about them this year. They play the Jets. It's the homecoming game, bro. Like, that's the, uh, that's what they call it up there. They play the Jets. <laughs> it, it is the homecoming game. They want to stomp them out every which way. I think they're a little bit better. I think they're a little bit more competitive. I still think they're a five-win football team. Well, and as good as things have been there in terms of some, they brought in some really good players. The Elijah Moores of the world. I really like the Wilson pick this year. But if Zach Wilson doesn't match up, they're going to look at it and say, well, Mac Jones went after him. We'll see what Trey Lance is, but that's going to be something that, okay, I mean, as great as they've done in terms of rebuilding things, maybe that's something that hurts that organization long-term. Um, in terms of the Giants, okay, so, so Joe Judge is back here in New England. How happy are Giants fans to have Judge out of their lives? Oh, they're so thrilled. And Judge looked like he was going to be the holdover and Dave Gettleman was going to go. Judge basically pulled a Costanza and got himself fired because he had one of the worst press conferences you're ever going to see. Uh, then the following week, they're playing a meaningless game against Washington, 
and they're running quarterback sneaks on the one or two yard line. And it's like, this guy cannot be the head coach. Expectations are not particularly high. I know we're going to have Daniel Jones on our show every week, which we're fired up about. Nice. We'll see if he can grow within the Brian Dayball offense. I wouldn't expect the Josh Allen type of leap, but it's a good opportunity for him to say, hey, guess what? I can still be a quality quarterback in this league, or I can't be a starting quality quarterback in this league. Prove it year for him. Prove it year for Barkley. That was a terrible pick. I can't believe people actually justify the idea of taking a running back at two. It's absolute malpractice. It's stupidity. If you run a franchise and you take a running back at two, that is a fireable offense. I don't care how good he may be. And oh, by the way, he hasn't even been that good. So it drives me nuts when I hear people defend the Barkley pick. Here's what helps the Giants. The conference, not as good. The division, not as good. Do I think they're particularly good? No. Do I, for the life of me, understand how their win total is at seven and a half? No. I think they're a little better. I still think they're a six-win team. Yeah, fair enough. And JJ, before we let you go, the 2023 Yankees, is Brian Cashman running the team and is Aaron Boone managing the team? Ooh. Well, I wanted Aaron Boone fired last year. I made that perfectly clear. The Yankees and Brian Cashman spit in my face. Now, Aaron Boone is not the reason the Yankees entirely have gone in the tank over the last eight weeks. They've had injuries. Um, you think about the underperformance at the bottom of the order. Uh, guys regressing. Not ideal. I will say this, though. If I were the Steinbrenner family and the Yankees limp into the playoffs and lose, let's say, in the ALDS, that is my pathway for cleaning house, where I say, you know what? We're not progressing the way we need to progress. I got to think long and hard about firing my GM, who's been there forever. And it's complicated, Brian, because remember, Brian Cashman's a holdover from George Steinbrenner. I don't know if Hal has the chutzpah to go and fire the guy that basically has had carte blanche to do what he wants with the team, is well-respected throughout baseball, and I do believe if Brian Cashman got fired, he'd get a job in five minutes. Like, I think he has enough on the resume. I mean, Brian, think about how many bad GMs there are in baseball. You're telling me with the resume yeah, I of Brian know, I Cashman, know one. he wouldn't get a job if he wanted one in five minutes? Yeah, I may know a bad GM. He may be well, uh, in the Boston I, That's area. exactly my point. So, but it, but it gets to a point where, like, the Yankees are stale. If they're regressing again and they're not, like, ascending to a World Series, then how can you argue that the brain trust is making the right calls and making the right decisions? I think Brian Cashman is back, though. To, to, to answer your question, I think Cashman and Boone are back. If it were me running the team and they're not playing the ALCS this year, I'm making wholesale change. Well, I like the Yankees' perspective on that because I'm glad to hear that you think that Aaron Boone's going to be back because it's been a real bad season for the Red Sox, but that is something to look forward to. If Aaron Boone's going to be the manager of the Yankees in 2023, that's good news for the Red Sox. We like to I hear that. I can understand that. that. Um, it, your brain trust will be back, right? That's the deal? Yeah, they ca they came out and they said it, so it feels like that's going to be the case. Sam Kennedy came out and said it a couple weeks feels ago. feels like there's a little friction there with that GM and manager. Is that accurate or am I reading too much into that? Well, one guy's trying to win. The other guy doesn't give a shit about well, the major league I've team. Well, that's what I've noticed. I feel like one yeah. is thinking player development down the line and down the pike. And, you know, Alex Cora's like, well, I want to win right now. Better yeah. Hey, don't make the mistake the Yankees do with Aaron Judge. Resign Devers and give him nine years. Would you please? Oh, believe me. Believe me, JJ. That's something that's Otherwise, irritating him, everybody. I, I'm sick of seeing that guy. Let him walk. Sayonara. <laughs> hey, well, they re-signed Kike, so cue the duck boats for next year. So Kike's back. I always liked Kike. He's a, cool yeah, he's a good player. player. I, he, I like Kike. him, too. Uh, I do have to thank you. Thank you uh, and your front office, private front office, for trading away Mookie Betts, even though I think he wanted out anyway. I think he wanted La La Land. I, anytime I watch the Dodgers, I'm like, thank God this guy's not killing my team anymore. Yeah, but JJ, the problem with that is, okay, like there's probably a lot of truth to what you're saying there, and there's been a lot of information that would point to the direction that he'd want to be here. The problem is, how can the return be Alex you Verdugo? You got to get one of Verdugo yeah. and Jeter Downs. Yes, man. I mean, come on. Yes. yes. That's horrible. All right. That is John Jastrzemski from The Ringers, New York, New York. JJ, great stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love you, Red Sox Nation and New England Nation. Enjoy a 7-10 and 10 football season. Brian, we'll chat soon. Later, buddy. All right. Uh, yeah, see you later, man. See you later, yeah. okay? There we go. All right, I do want to get into some Red Sox next. So Kike Hernandez gets a contract extension. What does this mean going forward for the team? Heimblum had some very interesting comments to get Kike to sign here. We'll get to that next. 
kick off week one with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. And if you're not in a sportsbook state and new to fantasy, new customers get free single game entry when you sign up. Just use the promo code PIKE to get in on the action. Then you can turn game day into payday all season long. And one of the bets that I'm looking at right now is Mac Jones, over 4,000 passing yards. Now he's at 38 last year, that's plus 120. And if the Patriots are gonna be successful at all this season, Mac's gotta go over 4,000. So plus 120, get that at FanDuel. Play your way and bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. FanDuel is now live in Kansas. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets and free DFS single game entry with promo code PIKE. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 21 plus in select states to play on Sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com to see fantasy eligibility and terms for both offers. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP protects next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 in New York. Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Welcome back into Off the Pike. So news for the Red Sox this week is Kike Hernandez gets a one-year contract extension worth $10 million. I like it from a Red Sox perspective. He's one of the best defensive center fielders in the game, so it makes sense to bring him back. You look at it since the start of 2021, He's third among 99 center fielders that have played at least 200 innings in defensive runs saved at 16. And Duran was a mess there. He was 97th minus 14. So it makes sense. You need Kike's defense. He's a streaky hitter, but he's a really good defensive player. So I like bringing Kike Hernandez back. The other interesting thing, though, to me was what came out of Kike Hernandez's press conference about his contract. Kike said this, quote, he, Heim Bloom, promised him that the Red Sox would be much better in 2023. So is that Heim Bloom getting pressured from the ownership group? Hey, we get to go out and we get to pay players. Because remember, a lot of money comes off the books. So are the Red Sox actually going to be aggressive in free agency? They're going to have to. And the one thing that keeps popping up to me, does that mean they're going to bring Xander back now? Because if you look at Bogarts, his streak came to an end on Tuesday night, nine in a row where he had multi-hit games, which was tied with Kevin Euclid for the most in the history of the organization, along with Jim Rice as well. But if you look at Bogarts, he's quietly on the verge of winning a batting title. Among shortstops, he's first in average, first in on-base percentage, first in OPS, and first in war. So he's having one of his best seasons. And when you look at that, does that mean that Bloom, Bogarts is a fan favorite, and Bogarts doesn't seem like the Bloom type, right? Bloom likes the super athletic guys, the Trevor Stories of the world. Does this mean, and especially considering the fact that Xander has improved tremendously defensively, does this mean that Heim Bloom is going to feel the pressure from not only the ownership group, but the fans to sign Xander Bogarts? And I do think there's been a sense of Heim Bloom where he's been neutered a little bit here. Remember at the trading deadline, he didn't go all in. He didn't go all out. That felt like he felt the pressure from the ownership group and the players. I'm wondering if this means that Bogarts is going to be part of the equation next season. All right, let's get to some calls. 617-396-7172 is the number. That's 617-396-7172. Hey, Brian, Ian from Shrewsbury, living in Washington, D.C. now. Um, wondering as we start the new Patriots season, looking for the long term, but do you think this Patriots roster is one that's on the up and up, whether it's this year or years going forward, or the decline veterans that, that aren't going to get better? Looking at you know, young players like Kobe Myers, Uche, and Christian Barmore, and wondering if uh, this is a roster to build around the future. Thanks. All right. I appreciate the call. So a couple of things there as it pertains to the roster. So 
obviously this team was put in a hole for, for some bad drafts, really from 16 to 19. It was really bad, but it does go back further than that. But I will say this about Belichick's recent drafts. 2020, he finds Duggar, who's obviously been a really good contributor for them. I feel like he's going to take another step forward. It would be nice to get something from Uche, who you mentioned, because they really haven't got much from him. And he was projected to be, if you go back to his collegiate days, he was second in pressure rate behind only Chase Young. And we haven't seen that as a Patriot yet. And then recently, I really liked the draft two years ago. How could you not? Mac Barmore and Stevenson is an absolute stud. I love Stevenson. I can't wait to talk about him more in greater detail as the season goes on, because I feel like he's going to have a breakout season. And the other portion of the equation is this year's draft. It feels like that hinges on the Thornton pick because the Patriots need an elite level wide receiver. And it felt like they finally found somebody that was going to be a weapon in Thornton. Unfortunately, he's injured. So I do feel like the past couple of drafts, although the strange thing was overvalued, have been much better from Bill than they were from 16 to 19. Although it'd be tough not to get better from that period of time. Hey, Brian, Eric from Portland, Oregon, uh, Massachusetts native, lifelong Boston fan. Uh, and really enjoying the new podcast. Uh, I'll try to make this as brief as I can. Um, the the whole KD to the Celtics storyline really got me thinking about team building in the modern NBA era. And I'm wondering if we have reached a point where the wanton accumulation of raw talent without regard for chemistry or context is nearing the end of its useful shelf life because I was very much against the idea of trading KD for Jalen Brown and any combination of Marcus or Derek White or a truckload of picks or any of that stuff. And I just felt like, you know, the Celtics have been building with this core, I mean, in a way, ever since the Pierce KG trade and it's been a heck of a ride and it got us to game six of the finals last year. And uh, I really just kind of want to see where it goes. And I'm as into data and analytics as anybody. I, I love it. I think it's brought so much color to the way we think about sports and evaluate sports. But at a certain point, I mean, just accumulating stars because you can accumulate stars and assuming it'll all work out. It just seems there seems to be some human element missing. These guys are human beings. And if you break up a team that's in the spot that this team is in, is that really the best path? And I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Bye. Appreciate it. Yeah. And it's definitely an interesting question. So if you look at these recent supposed super super teams, rather. The Nets situation did not work out. Obviously, part of that had to do with personnel issues or personal issues with Durant and Harden and Kyrie, et cetera. But if you look at it in recent history, even the Durant-Golden State Warriors team, that team was basically self-built, right? You had Curry, you had Thompson, you had Draymond Green. And because you had this weird situation with the salary cap and Curry didn't have a big contract, you could fit in Durant. But these examples of just acquiring all this talent we haven't seen it worked out like, I mean, LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, they made it work, but they got a lot of really good old role players on minimum contracts. But you really think about this, and I'm happy from a Celtics perspective as well. I didn't want to cheer for Durant. I didn't. Now, I would have had a very difficult time not trading for Durant just based on how good the player is. But I want to see this group with Jalen and Tatum and Smart and Robert Williams. I want to see this group win a championship because don't you think it'll feel better from a fan base perspective? Like the Dallas championship has to feel better than Miami with Dwayne Wade and LeBron. Now the first one for Dwayne Wade is totally different with Shaq, et cetera, but it would be so much better if the Celtics could finish the job with this group rather than it almost seems taking a shortcut with a guy like Kevin Durant. So I'm totally with you that I love that the Celtics didn't make the trade. Like I said, I would have had a more difficult time than Brad apparently did, but I like where the Celtics are at right now. All right, so if you do want to leave us a voicemail, that number, 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. We're getting closer to week one, so if you have questions as we get ready for the Dolphins game or on Sunday, if you want to rant after the game, that's the number to do so. We're going to be back with you on Thursday, and we'll get into the Patriots opener and the offense in greater detail with James White, of course, former Patriot, just recently retired. So I don't know if there's anybody, quite frankly, better right now 
to talk about the Patriots change schematically. James White's literally the only person that lived it and is now no longer on the team and in the media. So I cannot wait to chat with James White about that coming up on Thursday. And as always, leave us a voicemail, 617-396-7172. Thanks so much to Isaiah Blakely and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast. We'll chat in a couple of days.